Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Uh, you know what I like to say, Stefan? What do you like to say? I like to say that life is all about balance. Really? Yes. Uh, how often? How often do you say that? At least once a podcast. Really, man. Yeah. I I feel like I would go, I should go back and uh, and check on previous podcasts if that's something that you say. But you know what? I'm just going to believe you. Yes. Well, yeah. and it's not. It might not always be in those exact words, but you're getting you're getting a hint at the fact that life is all about balance. My general philosophy. Right. Right. Well, my name is Stefan. Oh, uh, hi, Stefan. How are you today? I'm pretty well. How are you doing, Paul? I, I'm very good. And yes, my name is Paul. Thank you very much. I like how that our voices have changed back. Uh, we're a little less confused this year. Yes. This, uh, no, because we, it's the same year. So it's not maybe, I guess I should say I'm equally confused then. Really. Yeah. And you know, uh, what's not confusing is that um, if people do actually listen all the way to the end of the podcast, they'll notice that we usually have sponsors. Yeah. Now, uh, we're not saying that those sponsors are, um, you know, not totally legitimate or credible or uh, real in any way. We're not saying they're not. Yeah, the number four definitely has sponsored at least three of these podcasts. They give us money. Right, right, right. So, But what we are saying is that right now we've got um, an actual sponsor. Ooh. And uh, you know what? I think we'll just like t- let the, it, the, the, the copy speaks for itself. Right, so take it away, ad. Is your husband cheating on you? Are you looking for a missing person? Is one of your employees stealing from you? If you're asking yourself one of these questions, then you need Hamburg and Door, private investigators. Our clients call us professional, discreet, and reasonably priced. (laughs) If you need private investigators, you should go with the best. Visit HamburgDoorPI.wordpress.com. <laughs> no job is too big or too small. Hamburg and Door. We put the P and I in private investigating. <laughs> If you do have a case for Hamburg and Door PI, please do send it their way. And right now, we're going to get into the show. Paul, what are we doing? Well, we're talking all about balance. Life is balance. Life is all about balance. Yes. Right. Okay. So what does that mean in a context of a story specifically? Um, so what we're doing here is we're, we're looking at a... We're, we're going to play a story uh, by, by the indomitable Joey Jacob, uh, who is a, who's told a couple... Has told a couple stories at our events. And... In the, in the process of working through some of these stories, we've had some discussions around this concept of balance and, and, and how to focus a story specifically. So in working with Joey on, on, on these stories, a question sort of became around how to balance the story had, you know, as every story does, as we discussed, that you can often get lost in in trying to cover all the minutia of a story, and especially really good stories have a lot of things that you have to ultimately um, lose to to make uh, a balanced feeling story. You can't you can't get into all of the exciting, interesting pieces of some of some stories because of the fact that you are. Because you you have to keep the story focused in some way, mm-hmm. um, and so in the work in working with Joey in these stories, that was something that sort of came up uh, was was how to get people to get what they're trying to figure what, what you want them to get out of the story without getting sort of lost um, in in the other pieces of it. And I uh, I think it's also uh, nice when 
you know, Joey really put the work into it. And, and just, I think sometimes as the storyteller, you don't almost realize sometimes what is, some things are more compelling to, they might not be compelling to you because you like live through them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, you, you tell, you, you say the story to a bunch of people and then you're like, well, and this was also happening at the same time. And everyone's like, whoa, <laughs> that's, you know, we want to hear more of that. Hats off to her that <laughs> that um, that she she really put the work in and really kind of went deep with uh, w- with what else was happening at at the at the time in her life. Well, and I think yeah, and I think what yeah, interestingly, the exact opposite can also be true: is that something can be super important to you, um, and and you don't and it won't be as obvious to everyone else why without providing sort of the required context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so one of the stories that she told to us, there, you know, there's a bit about. Um, about how she has to move, mm-hmm. and in the first version of the story, that didn't really include that part wasn't really included. Sort of all the stuff that all the other parts that were, that were going on in life around her wasn't really included so much, and she was really focused on on the sort of central theme. Whereas when we sort of heard it, we sort of felt like you really needed all that extra context. We needed to know why these things were happening around her to understand why she was such why there's such emotional response to the the uh, the, uh, the story she was actually trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And this is a context. This is this is an example, I think, actually of what we discussed uh, in one of our five and five, um, is what, which was the need for context within the realm of your life that you're telling the story in. We need to understand what where you were at in this experience to have the story work. Mm. Well, uh, so I'm sort of saying that you're, you want to um, be able to kind of uh, tease out some of these details, and, uh, and you're saying some of those details might be important to you but might not be as important to the audience necessarily so are you saying that basically we need balance I, I think I am saying we need balance um, you know that's the only and I think the only way to really understand actually where to find that balance or where that balance lies is to bring it to a group of other people I think this is the this is the case of when other people can be can be quite helpful to you uh, because they can tell you, and they can tell you what makes sense and what doesn't, or what lands and what doesn't, in a way that does is very difficult for you yourself to parse out. Unless you sort of keep doing, you know, I think you see this happening with comedians often is that they'll just go to a whole bunch of events, right, and they'll just tell a whole bunch of jokes and see which ones land and slowly and surely build up their set that way. Storytellers don't really have that luxury. You can't keep going out to events and telling a similar. You could, but it's not. It's it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, for, whereas if you think if you, you can just get a, a group of people who actually can sort of give you direct feedback, you can find the places to, to dive or deeper in and find the places to cut back on a lot more easily. Yeah. And it's finding those details that help you make, um, uh, you know, again, trying to find how to make your audience sort of care about what you're talking about and the, the, the story that you, uh, you know, are, are trying to tell because, you know, again, it's one thing to to kind of sit down with your friends and you're just sort of like talking about different stories, about you know, things that happen to you. And of course, they're going to care about what you have to say. They're your friends. But but I think it's also trying to get complete strangers to like come around to understand, you know, why why you're up up there and why you want to, you know, yeah, can communicate this story. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's also a piece of it in which 
if you come out with a story of like this is about this is a story about this, and if the other person doesn't care about this, then it's all over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, versus uh, if you start a story and let people sort of wade into it, by the time they realize it might, it's a story about something specific, um, then then maybe then they you've already got them over on your side. They're already they're already listening, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of finding that sort of balance to allow people to more. Uh, to to more easily and get themselves into the story before you sort of reveal the whole the, the whole you know let the cat out of the bag, um, so to speak, is it helps uh, and 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 that and that I think comes down to finding what you can focus on something but you can put that focus further on in the story and sort of create a balance of the of how the whole flow works. So I think we've solved it. I think uh, we have solved it. Life solve a balance. Yeah, that's a good one. You heard it here first. No one has ever said this before. Nope. Wow. Uh, life's all about bounds. You can get. Uh, you can find out about more PI-related mysteries uh, if you go to the website. And uh, Joe is going to tell an amazing story. What else could you want from such an excellent podcast? I was sitting on the couch with a new lover. We were smack dab in the middle of new relationship energy. Heart flutters, eyes dashing quickly towards each other and then quickly away. Coy smiles and warm feelings all over. I have no idea what we were really talking about. The subtext was lust and infatuation. There was about half a foot of space between our bodies, and Monkey the cat managed to squeeze herself in between. She purrs at an audible level that I've never heard before, vibrating against us with her own pleasure. She never seemed to take notice of me, or anyone else for that matter. I'd liked her in this moment, and I'd never liked her before. (laughs) Journal entry, August 13th, 2011. Nearing the end of my first year in a PhD. What a shitty decision. (laughs) I've moved to a new province, had to make new friends again. And for what? The noble pursuit of thinking too much about one goddamn thing. (laughs) In other news, Monkey is such a distracting little stinker. She makes the best sounds sarcastic. The minute I get home, she runs to the door and demands butt pats. And then when I stop, makes a noise that seems almost impossible to write phonetically. Maybe it's, ah, ah, is now our official greeting. Three years into the PhD and two years into a relationship with that lover, the three of us packed up and moved to North Carolina my lover to begin a PhD, me to write a dissertation, and Monkey to just be a cat. (laughs) But Monkey became more than simply a cat. I relied on her for comfort and affection when my lover stopped being attentive. Three months in, he asked me to altogether refrain from speaking to him in the mornings. I was too distracting to his work. Six months in, he permanently slept in the spare room I was keeping him awake with my breathing. 18 months in, 
we had sex three times. This is not it's three. <laughs> <laughs> he insisted on refraining from changing in front of me to keep nudity special, ostensibly for the sex, of course, which we were never having. <laughs> My heart hurt, and I ached for connection to others. The kind of hurt where you wake up feeling sad, but you can't remember why for exactly a few moments, and then it floods back, the sadness taking a concrete association. I had only one friend in town, and I spent hours each day on the phone with friends and family afar. When no human connection could be found, I relied on Monkey. Our thing comprised of me picking her up dozens of times each day, and putting her over my shoulder so that her front legs would dangle downward and she'd purr and purr and purr. This routinely defiant cat would completely give in to my affection, making me feel less like a pariah in my own home and more like a necessary and even loved component. I ended that relationship with that lover. And Monkey and I headed back to Toronto after about a year and a half. My whole life packed up in a cube van, both of us vocalizing en route. She made intense and unsettling cat noises, <laughs> while I often pulled over to cry and dry heave. At a truck stop somewhere between Washington and Pittsburgh, I smelled a concerning smell. Shit. <laughs> Knowing that I had not shit myself, though, Given the stressful circumstances, I was momentarily concerned. <laughs> I realized that it could only be one thing. Cat shit. <laughs> There's something very special about getting out of a van that houses your entire life knowing that it's been permeated with that scent. <laughs> I can still hear and feel the weight of that sliding door opening the van and pulling her carrier out. And it was increasingly clear that we had a very big problem. I don't remember walking through the convenience store, but I do know what happened when I made it to the washroom. <laughs> Pulling down as many paper towels as I could, because this was not a time to be conservative and concerned about the environment, <laughs> I cleaned her shit-covered carrier and her shit-covered body. The sink filled up with water that looked like diluted coffee as I tried to hold Monkey long enough to get all the shit out of her fur. The shit had made its way up her inner and outer back legs and up the length of her stomach. In ever good timing, a totally weirded out woman looked at me from the unlocked doorway of the public toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the sight she saw, me wearing rubber gloves, pants, rubber boots, and just a bra on top. <laughs> Monkey had managed to get shit all over my shirt and I had declared it far too gone for recovery. Me, chasing a shit-smeared cat around the bathroom, <laughs> ducking under and around the stall doors that did not quite reach the floor. Monkey leaving shit-smeary paw prints in her wake. And me calling after her by her given name, Monkey. <laughs> which is not a reference to her species and uh, might have seemed an odd word to utter in, a, in the presence of a stranger who already thinks that I've gone completely mad. I politely suggested that she come back another time. <laughs> <laughs>
That shitty experience affirmed my unending love for monkey. She came with the baggage of some problematic bodily functions, but I didn't care. It was true love. When she became really sick, it was an obvious choice to take care of her, whatever she needed. So when her once a year urinary tract infections became twice a year, and then three times, and then every month, I hung in there, cleaning up her bloody urine and nursing her back to health. Late October 2015, nearly five years into our relationship, to the day, she hid. She had never done that before. Whenever she was in discomfort, she'd find me and radiate her troubles outward, often in the form of a puddle of bloody piss. When I pulled her out from her hiding spot, clots of blood accompanied her normal bloody urine. And I packed her up and we went to the vet. I assumed, as with other times, this was a normal urinary tract infection. I didn't know that this was the beginning of the end. Journal entry, December 14th, 2015. I'm just trying to be okay with everything not being okay. I'm going to be okay, even if everything is not okay. She stayed at the vet for three days. The day Monkey came home, my roommate greeted me with dinner and a bottle of my favorite vodka. We barely ate, watching Monkey sleep for what would seem, or what did seem, like the last few weeks of her life. She had lost nearly four pounds and was quite drugged to relieve her pain. When she did open her, her glassy eyes, she'd look about until she saw me and then look at her own body, seemingly horrified, and I'd clean her since she could no longer do it herself. She smelled of the same smell that hospitals sometimes have of decaying bodies and rubbing alcohol. My roommate and I drank vodka and we talked for hours and hours and cried together over the sleeping pile of fur before us. She had no energy, and I longed to just hear her. Uh. For four months, I did almost nothing but nurse her. Friends became concerned, not only for my mental health, but also for my pocketbook. I had unflinchingly borrowed $2,000 at that point and had already spent $3,000 on a graduate student's salary. I wasn't handed a bill for $3,600 on the same day. These debits would come slowly over four months. I don't know what I would have done if they had all come at once. Much time was now spent calibrating to unexpected palliative care. She was vomiting multiple times each day, and I was sleeping like the parent of a newborn in hourly increments. Weekly, if not daily, vet visits occurred. The people who worked at the vet knew that I was broke, and that also that I was capable of doing some of the easier, though sometimes squeamish, daily tasks. One of the things they trained me to administer was subcutaneous fluids. Wrap monkey in a blanket so she can't squirm away, pinch the excess flesh on the back of her neck, and inject a needle containing saline until a pocket, about half the size of my fist, formed. It took about three minutes each time, and I would hold her and talk to her in the soft voice she liked. Journal entry, December 20th, 2015. I think I'm afraid to not complete my dissertation. What if I can't? 
What if I've gone dumb? I haven't written anything in months. I could have looked after her forever. Except for that whole pocketbook situation. Even though things had been tough, I truly believed that she was content in my presence, as I was with hers. That she also wanted whatever time we had left together. That was what the vet had me believe, until her tune so completely changed, complicating my life more than I thought possible. Up until this point, I had been led to believe that Monkey was nearing the end. I was preparing for this. I was prepared for this. Then one day the vet informed me that there were still a few things we could try, but they'll take more money. Try this other food, try these other medications. What about surgery? I was dubious and said as much. It had already been four months. It was at this point I realized that the vet was pro-life. I'm now realizing, an interesting thread, <laughs> that I didn't intend. Um, <laughs> Even if it meant drastic, I now realize that the vet was for life, even if it meant drastic procedures and heartache. The vet was adamant, and she no longer supported the path we had been on. The vet suggested that a pet medical professional could give Monkey what she needed with expertise, drugs, and around-the-clock care, but that I clearly could not provide for Monkey anymore. I'm not exactly sure what I regret but I know that there's something here that resonates with that idea. The next day, the vet told me that she knew somebody, someone who could give Monkey what she needed and suggested that I give her up. A medical surrender. I went home and cried on the bathroom floor without Monkey, who was staying at the vet because I could no longer afford to pay the bills. Did you know that they, they hold your animal hostage, if it comes to this, all while providing care, of which you are to pay for in the event that the animal ever goes home with you again. I decided that even though I could no longer afford to care for her, if the vet truly believed that there was hope, I wanted to give Monkey that chance. She had seen me through so much. She was the love of my life. On January 11th, 2016, I went to the vet to sign the surrender document. The form instructed me that from the moment I signed, I was no longer the guardian of Monkey. I would permanently forego any knowledge of her whereabouts or health. Now, one person at the vet made eye contact with me that day as I sobbed in that public space. First in the observation room with all the stainless steel, the sanitized room oddly juxtaposed to the infected deep pain that welled in my chest and second in the waiting area, where everyone tried not to stare. I seemed contagious. People with their pets were trying not to catch whatever I had. Journal entry, January 12th, 2016. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to write. Yesterday, I surrendered monkey at the vet. I'm horrified lonely, sad, angry, frantic, calm, overwhelmed, heartbroken, and uncomfortably freed.
Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org.